my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Breakfast Punks podcast. Whoop, whoop. This is a podcast about coffee, donuts, DIY punk, and pretty much anything else we want. Brought to you by Sham City Roses and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Dave. And I'm Siobhan. And on this week's episode, which is number six. Episode six. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> polystyrene from X-Ray Specs. And also the movie Psycho Goreman from uh, 2020. What a treat. Hope everyone's doing all right out there. Yay, what a... Lovely couple of weeks I'm hoping everyone's had. Lockdown's <laughs> nearly over, is it not? I don't know, who cares? Um, we don't know. We don't know. No one knows. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Um, so Actually, this... we are going to talk about that. Oh, yeah, we, are. <laughs> we are a little bit going to talk about that. But that's fine. Let's start with something nice like food. This week's vegan treats that we ate were Incredibars from Vegan Antics. Vegan Antics, uh, for those who used to come to our cafe, they supplied us with the cakes and the brownies. Everybody and know. Everyone who came everyone to our cafe knows, knows exactly who Vegan Antics are. Exactly. Like. They were a wonderful cafe down in Gravesend. They, it's a cross, really. It's well, up, cross, fact, up. It's definitely up. Yeah. Otherwise you get to Miles France. from Hastings, but they were very <laughs> kind and delivered to us every week. That's Ashley and Grace. They are awesome. They've started doing these things called Incredibars, which are a mixture of brownies and cookies and biscuits and they're just insane absolutely absolutely insane and they post them so we were really lucky got a little postal treat four Mm. of these incredibars we've eaten half (laughs) each of one and we're already having sugar comas they're insane this is exactly how i used to feel in the cafe when i would always for lunch have about 10 cups of coffee and like a, some vegan antics treat, and then Meaning I feel full bread. of sugar, yeah. completely insane. Yeah, and that's how I feel right now. Yeah. So this podcast gonna be great. Oh my goodness! Well, they're amazing. Everyone should get them. You can get a box of four of them uh, for twenty pounds, including delivery. They'll mm. post it anywhere. They came really quick. They are insanely good. Mm. Um, we had one that was like a cookie butter. No, I think it was like a brownie and a cookie and a caramel bit and chocolate. It was like a millionaire shortbread meets a cookie meets a brownie. And then another one that was a hazelnut version of that with some Rice Krispie Treat bit in it as well. Just so good. Definitely get on that. If you live in Gravesend or anywhere near there, they are still open and you can mm. order things to pick up. And they do local delivery and just eat or whatever. And say um, hello to them from us. Yay! We miss them. We miss them too. <laughs> we still have your cakes things. We'll bring them back one day. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, apologies for that. So yeah, that's our sugar coma for the week. Dave, well, what are we drinking? Well, helping us then with the caffeine. This almost feels extremely apt because uh, the coffee that we're drinking uh, this episode is actually one of mine. It's the new uh, Sham City Roasters um, Identity Blend. It's apt for two reasons, really. One, because I feel like vegan antics cakes and Sham City Roasters coffee is basically what I lived off for three and a half years and what a lot of people (laughs) probably listening to this podcast lived off for for three and a half years. But also, it's a tribute to polystyrene, who we're obviously talking about later on in the the programme, I almost in the episode. (laughs) Um, so official this uh, this coffee it's uh, quite a light roast um, it's an Ethiopian bean it's really delicious it's currently on pre-order uh, you can pick it up or you can pick up some cheap bundles 
from shamsityroasters.com um, and uh, they'll all be going out at the very start of April. Thank you so much to everyone who's ordered. We've had loads and loads of orders. Uh, the T-shirt that's coming out, which has the branding for the other coffee that we're releasing, which is Alistair Crowley themed, is probably more or less going to only be a pre-order. So if you want one of them, you need to get your orders in by the 25th of March because that's when I'm ordering the T-shirts. Hmm. There might be a handful afterwards. It kind of depends, but um, who knows? But just who to guarantee knows? your size. I think that you could recreate the Sham City Roasters cafe experience by ordering these incredible bars <laughs> and then ordering the coffee just saying massive plug what it's definitely worth corporate it i know <laughs> well, no, they're independent businesses <laughs> no, true, right? Not corporate, penny counts capitalist them oh fuck off <laughs> <laughs> no honestly these things are ridiculous and coffee is great so get on it absolutely and just to add to our sham city roasters experience Ooh. most of you who came to the cafe would probably remember the amazing playlist that we used to have with incredible music <laughs> on it so now we're going to play a song <laughs> It isn't on that playlist, but could have no, been. No, <laughs> it would have been, it could have been, but it's not. <laughs> anyway, so our first song we're going to play is from a band called Cheek Face. The song's called Listen to Your Heart No. They're a band from Los Angeles, and this song is from an album called Emphatically No. It's their second album, and it came out on New Professor Records in January this year. I've never heard of them until recent. Like I just said, this is their second album. Uh, Specialist Subject Records in Bristol have got some of their albums in. Posted about it a couple of weeks ago. And... It just looked really cool because one of their albums has like a pizza on the front. <laughs> You're easily so, sold. <laughs> this is me easily intrigued. And then I actually listened to them. And it's not quite punk as such. So oh, I don't know where everyone's going to think. But great. I think this is, this yeah. is like so up my alley. <laughs> so I'm really happy to play it. So this is Cheek Face. Listen to your heart. No. I'm pulling weeds. The weeds are just some art I made. My canvas for anxiety. Think you could fall on that grenade. Your internship and there's no pay No room for cream No room for error or for doubt No holier than though or thou Maybe light snacks are all you need A giant pretzel could make you feel better Bored of the dance, I laughed in spite of myself What side of bread is the side with the butter on it? Listen to your heart, keep on keeping on Just say no to drugs Listen to your 
highlights of the news this Thursday. Breaking news is part of this job. You are fake news. News. This is what's happening in your world tonight. So now it's time for our roundup of the last two weeks. We call it the news. It's not really the news. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going with it. So, Dave, what's your first little tidbit? I'm going to kick off with some more self-promotion in a way. Uh, that's getting a bit weird. <laughs> Have you heard about me? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's not just about me, but um, it's about this podcast, in fact. Um, I just wanted to let everyone know that I've started a Breakfast Punks podcast YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Very modern. Um, I've used the internet to do so, and um, I've uploaded the episodes to YouTube, which I think is probably a bit of a pointless exercise, to be honest, because I can't imagine that anyone's listening to podcasts via YouTube. But if you are, you can get on there and uh, you can hear all of them. But the more the idea of starting this channel was more that I wanted to make some playlists up for all of the different episodes, because I feel like on almost every episode that we've done, we've always referred loads to like different things that we've seen, different films or, you know, different uh, people, obviously the, all the bands that we play. And I just thought it might be quite useful if you get through any of our episodes, if anyone has actually managed to get through <laughs> any of our episodes. <laughs> if you've ever listened to any of this beyond <laughs> this point, well and, done. <laughs> and, you, and you thought anything that we said was quite interesting, then there's lots of, you know, further information. Yay. And, I, and I think YouTube is a really good place for that. It's definitely where we find out about a lot of the weird shit that we talk about. So as an example, last episodes um was about discordianism if you haven't listened to it go back and listen to it and we referred to absolutely loads of like Mm. documentaries and different weird cults and different weird little organizations and stuff and so i've put together a a playlist of sort of information about them all and uh I've, i've not made it too long it's not got like every single thing about the Church of the Subgenius or or every single thing about Robert Anton Wilson, but it's got yeah. the, what I consider to be the best stuff that I've found. Yeah. And it just, I feel like, you know, the last episode was two hours long, which I want to <laughs> apologise for. And um, certainly in my experience of listening to the podcast, sometimes I listen the whole way through and I think, God, someone what? said something on what that happened? and I really wanted to check that out and I can't be fucking bothered to go back and listen to two hours of it again yeah. to, to, you know, find the little bit that uh, that has the interesting thing. So hopefully... YouTube can be your resource Yay. for finding out more information about the stuff we talk about. Am I right in saying that, so the 80s one, the episode <laughs> where we talked about 80s songs will have the 80s songs on it? I was going to say, if you want to have a, if you're having a little party, a little lockdown <gasps> party, and uh, you want to drink tequila and dance in your living room, just go to our 80s pop bangers <laughs> um, episode. It's not only has it got uh, all of the 80s songs that we mentioned. They got more. Uh, it's no, no. It's got a load of Lust in the Dust stuff as well. So oh, you can, nice. You can see Divine sing her song from Lust in the oh, Dust so as good. well. So there's there's hopefully lots of interesting yeah. things on there. I, you know, I music know. documentaries from the second episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lo- Loads uh, of well, stuff. that's exactly right. Like when we did that punk documentaries thing, almost all of those documentaries yeah. we talked about were on YouTube. And available, so. Adam Curtis documentaries, yeah. they're all on YouTube as well. <laughs> I put all of them. There's on hours there. and hours of yeah. stuff. So if you want to waste some time, <laughs> which is what we do, is why this we're is doing our life. this. <laughs> if you want to see what I do with my life, <laughs> go and look up the YouTube playlists and. Go on a go on a YouTube binge. Yeah, it is our life. We go on YouTube holes all the time. But yeah, also if you want to subscribe, I think people can do that. Oh, you should subscribe. I'm looking at the page now. It says no subscribers. Well, no one knows about and it. And it says, and it's uh, every episode has had one listen. That's you. And that's me. Just checking that it works. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't even subscribed to it. <laughs> I'm sure it's really good. <laughs> but yeah, so Breakfast Punks podcast on YouTube. Have a look. Be a beautiful. Have a look, not a little. Have a little look. Have a little look. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Lovely. Well, my brief news story is wrestling related, so apologies if you want to tune out now and you're not interested in wrestling whatsoever. I don't think you need to be interested in wrestling to be interested in this story, to be honest. It's weird weird as fuck. (laughs) So basically, we've mentioned AEW in the past, All Elite Wrestling. It's the wrestling promotion that we watch the shows of. Mm -hmm. And they had a pay-per-view last week or the week before, can't remember when now, and it promised this exploding barbed wire death match. Yeah, which is something that existed yeah. in the past. So a death, a, in brief, a death match is a wonderful term. <laughs> it's for wrestling matches that are a bit extreme and a bit silly. And to be honest, don't usually get televised because they usually involve a lot of barbed wire, a lot of destruction. There's the a lot idea of on, is that on, there's you... There's a lot of them on YouTube Oh my as well. goodness. I mean, we'll, we'll, can we link some on our playlist, some of the horrible yeah, death matches? Yeah. And this yeah, one. Uh, yeah, with a warning. I mean, proper, proper death matches are pretty horrendous as you might imagine by the title because wrestling is thought of as fake and acted and whatever whereas death matches do have an element of yeah someone might get glassed in the face someone well, might get they, quite hurt they're still it's still all fake but it's not for, it's it's fake in as much as they agree all the horrible things they're going to do to each other yeah it's, it's not a surprise to them that they're about to get yeah, hit over the head with a light well, like someone got hit with a weed whacker <laughs> I'm one of the ones that I saw and uh, yeah there's some horrible shit oh my goodness and people jumping off of roofs mm. onto cars and all these sorts of things but yeah so like Dave said you, you agree it before but you do actually do the nasty things so anyway AEW is one of the promotions that said screw this we're going to put it on TV they've had a death match uh, last year with these two people involved mm. who are in it which is Kenny Omega and John Moxley I think they're the only two that will agree to do this yeah I think they terms. are because <laughs> they, they've done it in the indie circuits leading up to this so they did one last year that was really good mm. they ended up jumping on this pit that was covered in barbed wire and they're both hanging suspended in barbed wire and it was so disgusting but it was really good so this has a lot of promise exploding barbed wire deathmatch it does exist they replaced the ropes of the ring with barbed wire <laughs> which have explosions triggered in them so if you hit the barbed wire not only are you going to be in barbed wire, but then there's going to be explosions going off. and So the promise is, it's a bit <clears throat> style of a substance to some level with the explosions. I think that, But I um, think you do still get, they still get like heat and it's still like pretty horrible to have something explode So in face. I'm not so sure about that actually. So I've seen a Japanese one before, which yeah. is really old, uh, like 90s I think. Maybe, yeah. yeah, 90s I think. And um, in the Japanese ones, they walked away with like burns... Like oh, so they, they did actually They get did burns. definitely, like those ones definitely probably exploded. Oh, okay. These ones I think just let off a little well, bit. Well, so this is this is where it goes a bit wrong. So <laughs> the, one of the wrestlers, John Moxley, keeps saying this is the end, this could be the end of my career. So you're really starting to think, I wonder what this match is going to look like. I hope, I feel like it's going to be pretty severe. This guy can deal with a lot and they're really hamming this up. So it starts and they're throwing each other into the barbed wire quite a bit and there are explosions going off. And it does look pretty horrible and there's a fair bit of blood going on. But it's not like mega. I think in but fairness, one... it, it, I mean, I wouldn't have liked to have done it. Like, no, of course I know, not. It's one of those things where I think you, you end up kind of... Become well, a bit decent. Maybe because of what happened. But like, yeah, you, you, you don't necessarily appreciate the fact that they, def- they really fucked each other Yeah, up. Like, it wasn't nice. But anyway, the big payoff as it were is this match is going to be 30 minutes long and if the match hasn't ended by 30 minutes then the ring will explode <laughs> that's what was <laughs> promised <laughs> and who knows what that really looks like like <laughs> we were like is it going to explode what does that really happen what does what does that look like anyway the match is over spoiler alert kenny omega wins 
So he wins and leaves the match and leaves John Moxley in the middle of the ring. But he wins just before the 30 minutes is up. He, yeah, he wins by like a couple of minutes. They didn't time it very well. They didn't, was, was yeah. He, so he wins a bit early. So you think, oh, the ring's not going to explode. How boring. So he walks away and then a timer comes up. Two minutes to go. And, and he's, you know, Kenny Omega's kind of laughing from the side. So you're like, oh, okay, two minutes, maybe, you know, and then the commentators are like, oh, they haven't turned the timer off. The ring's still going to explode and John Moxley's incapacitated in the middle. What's going to happen? And it's really dramatic and there's mm. sirens going off. Actually, they did a and really good job of making it dramatic. The build-up was like, the... my stomach was churning. I was like, shit, what's going to happen? And if I can just refer to another match, there was a match in WWE where the ring did collapse once yeah. with um, Braun Strowman. And Big Show, was it? Uh, no, I think it was Braun... I don't know. But the one and, I'm referring it was to two, was... But no, it was but them two together. Oh, was it was not it? only one person in it the It was a really... Match. No, no, no. But it was someone... Someone slammed a really massive man in the middle yeah. of the ring and the ring collapsed. And it was impressive. So I'm thinking, this ring's going to collapse, but it's going to explode. This is going to be really exciting. Then about a minute from the end, another wrestler comes out and is like, no, I'm going to save you. Trying to wake him up dramatically. Can't wake him up. So throws himself on top and <laughs> covers his head really dramatically. And it's going, 10, 9. And we are losing our shit a bit in the lounge. Like, what is going to happen? And then it goes zero. All the sirens go off. And then these piddly little sparklers <laughs> go off in the corner of the ring. No explosion. So Commentators, obviously something's gone wrong. No one really knows what to do. The guy who's thrown himself on top of John Moxley <laughs> feigns being in pain and rolls off and looks like he's passed out and fainted. Well, and everyone's, kind of, yeah, everyone's confused yeah. because all that's happened is some sparklers have gone off. <laughs> and well, the, the commentators kept saying, oh, you can feel the heat from here. Yeah. Like, like... <laughs> everyone's still saying their lines as if the ring exploded, but absolutely nothing happened. Yeah. And it was such a shame because then... It was the end of the pay-per-view. And it was like, well, shit. Mm. Was that meant to happen? And sometimes you can play out something as a story, but this really did look like yeah, an absolute so fail. Yeah, so and in the episode later, they, they tried to play it as um, Kenny Omega, who won, was seen a couple of episodes ago, like, building the stage. Mm. So the person who runs AEW, Tony Khan, tried to say, oh, the storyline is that Kenny Omega must have botched the bomb, so it's his fault. Well, that's not what he said, is it? What, well, he's, not what, what he Omega said, the next said. one, he said that they did it deliberately to take the piss out of, so that uh, everyone would be disappointed. I think that's what he said. It's a bit of a... I mean, they've changed their story a bit, and then when the Wednesday episode came round, they had... Um, they had to try and explain why the person who tried to save John Mockley feigned fainting. And he was like, oh, it was trauma from being a kid. And mm. that didn't really make any sense. But they didn't really make too much of an effort with the story. Because I think by yeah. this point, an interview with Kenny Omega had come out, which said, I'm, I'm absolutely gutted. Like, we planned, we did so many rehearsals where that thing did explode. And for it to live on <laughs> live on TV, just a piddly little sparkler go off. It must have been so sad for both oh, of them though, as well. Just because they really did beat the living shit out of each other yeah. and they did so many horrible things to themselves in order to sort of tell a story and yeah. the whole point of the story that was that it was going to get to this huge climactic end thing and for that to have happened and then obviously you know I'm wrestling fans aren't exactly the most uh, thoughtful people in no. the world and you know they're of course not going to remember anything about the match and all of the horrible things no. that they did to each other they're just going to remember that something went wrong yeah so it was quite sad really it was really sad, and I just but feel hilarious. Really, too. Yeah, I mean, it was hilarious <laughs> and awful, but yeah, they built it up so much. I was so excited, <clears throat> and when nothing happened, it was just a bit like, 
oh no, these poor people <laughs> who have worked so hard mm. to do something. And, you know, now other promotions, WWE are taking the piss on their show apparently and it is what it is. Mm. But they'll move on, they'll still carry on being good. Let's go from uh, the very lowbrow to the slightly more highbrow, mm. shall we? So I've got a little bit of poetry news. Uh, I just wanted to let everybody know about a new uh, small press that's started um, called Between Shadows Press. It's a press that's run by a guy called Tom Bacalus, who's a great poet from New Jersey. Um, he's done an absolutely mental job um, over the last couple of months of releasing. I think they've got, they got like 16 chapbooks out already. And he seems to be releasing them in waves. And I just got a bunch of them through uh, literally this morning. And um, they look amazing. And uh, they're from some really great uh, poets. Um, Tom's released one himself called Punk Poets are Pretentious Arseholes, which is a little bit triggering, but, you know, <laughs> that's fine. Um, and then I've got another three, one of whom, um, uh, Pete Donahue, uh, his new chat book. Pete's from uh, Hastings as well. He's an excellent poet. And uh, I got another couple, uh, Cody Taylor and Ashley L. Cook, who were just people that I'd read on Instagram and really liked. And uh, yeah, they're really brilliant books. It sounds like he's got another 10, I think, coming oh in the gosh. next couple of weeks, I think. So he's really on it. Um, but yeah, definitely check out uh, Between Shadows Press. They've got some really cool things happening. And the last little bit was just triggered by social media reminding us what we were doing a year ago. <laughs> fucking memories yeah <laughs> memories on facebook uh everyone's been sharing it recently in our fr- friendship group that our last gig we ever went to slash you guys put on mm. was 19th of march last year it was snuff in hastings yeah. and it's been a full year it's a full year since our last gig it's been a full mm-hmm. year since people last got to hang out properly like that i remember it well <laughs> actually uh, snuff was the day before the last day of the cafe yeah, too, that's true. It? That was the last weekend the cafe opened. Which, in a lot of ways, it was. A, it's a success story for me, in a way. Yeah. Snuff, Snuff all came and drank my coffee on yeah. the on the last day we opened our cafe. There you go. That's nice. If I had told fourteen-year-old David that that was going to happen, and I'd you been happy. you'd played with Snuff like the week before, two oh. weeks before as well. That was yeah. your last gig, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Last gig you played. Yeah. Obviously, there was a lot of negatives in the last year and that we couldn't see each other, we couldn't hang out. I mean, that gig reminds us that we haven't been to a gig in a year. And obviously, the pandemic wiping across the world and killing people and not being very nice. But... I also remember how unreal um, coronavirus seemed at that gig. Yeah, well, I remember... No, no, let's not, <laughs> let's not go into details, but it just seemed... it. Obviously, by that stage, we were all sort of... I don't think we'd quite all got scared of it, necessarily. Re- it all felt a little bit unreal. I remember Corona beers were on offer for half yeah. price, <laughs> <laughs> which was fine by us. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of them. And um, I think panic buying is just about to start. Panic buying hasn't started yet. Oh, had it yeah. not? Or had it? No, maybe it I hadn't. think it had, because I think, I think things had started to close. But everything just felt silly, and it sort of felt a little bit like this was going to be something where we would have to sit at home for two weeks, and then, yeah. we'd, be, and then we'd be back at it. And a full year later, obviously we've had a little bit of time out of the house. As yeah. Were. But I think, also, just reflecting back... Um, however long ago it was on our first episode of this podcast, we kind of talked a little bit about this, or we talked about, we sort of reviewed yeah, 2020. 2020. And I feel like we were probably, we, we tried to concentrate on all of the positive stuff. And I think that since then, it's got a lot harder. Yeah. Just because 
of a number of reasons. The weather, I think, was mm-hmm. a big thing. Certainly in the the UK and and in Hastings, we you know we had a couple of months where it was pretty much just grey and it never really got light for a while. Yeah, and I think that was hard, and I think that probably hit just about the same time as everyone was really. Fit. We'd just gone back into another lockdown, having had some you know pre Christmas kind of had a little bit of time where we were we were sort of allowed out a little bit. And yeah, I think I think I personally have definitely found the last three months or whatever much harder than I found the initial uh, stuff. And I don't know. I, I think it might be about sort of, but you know, I think a lot of what we talked about on our first episode was we'd really tried to get some healthy routines uh, going, mm. and that we'd done that quite successfully. And as a result, I think it had sort of helped us a little bit along the way. But I think that once you get to the point where you're like nine months in, ten months in, those mm. things start to slip away, even if you don't realise, even if you're trying to do them. And I definitely found that for me, like a lot of things, a lot of things just kind of went by the wayside. And I found there was a couple of these. I've been keeping tabs in a diary. I thought yeah. it was quite a good like mental health practice to do. And I sort of write down all the things that I accomplished with my day. And I was flicking, because I've had quite a good week this week. Yeah. Get, got quite a lot done all last week, got quite a lot done. And then I sort of went back a few pages and there was a couple of days where I just wrote in them, stayed in bed all day. Yeah. <laughs> and I sort of thought, ah, oh, shit, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, it's not... Yeah. And Yeah, I think there was something about the initial bit, especially as we'd come out of running a cafe and having no spare time whatsoever. So having this free time, to be honest, was wonderful. Getting involved in being a bit more creative, getting involved in taking time to, like, just read or take time mm. to be... Especially, like, me and Dave, we didn't have any time to spend together prior to this. And now it was like, we're going to have only time to spend together. <laughs> and it was about finding ways to do that in a way where you're doing stuff together. But also finding ways to just kind of exist in the same one-bed flat mm. and not have to find stuff to do all the time and just kind of relax. Mm. Which I don't think we've ever done. So just having time to read. Christ, I hadn't read a book for God knows how long. We read so many books last year. Yeah. And just, just, just enjoying that nothing time. Whereas that nothing time in the dark, cold winter yeah. has felt a bit rubbish, especially days where it really doesn't get very light and you've spent all day indoors and you mm. think you get really tired and you get really fed up. But I'm sure everyone's feeling this way. It's so hard to not get running away with being too positive or being too negative. Mm. But it does feel like it's slowly coming to a yeah, and, it looks like it, I it? mean, I haven't, I don't watch the news at all, uh, but the last time I watched the news in December, we were at thousands, tens of thousands of cases a day. Last time I caught the news while I was working on the hospital, and it was about 4,000 cases. That's still shit, but it has dropped mm. in the last three months that I've noticed the news. I'm about to have my second vaccine in a couple of weeks' time. And actually, in fairness, the vaccines, I feel like, have actually rolled. Unlike every single other thing that this government tried to do, mm-hmm. and I'm not giving them any praise whatsoever, but I think it is worth acknowledging, the vaccines do seem to have actually rolled out more or less as were as planned. planned. And, yeah. and I think, I think I'm, I think my age group, the youngsters, the young people are. Well, you're next. <laughs> Fifty to fifty nines are getting theirs now. That's not me. That's so not Dave. Uh, but he is in the next bracket down. If you can Only imagine just. what that is. Well, you'll be fully in it by May. Anyway. Um, <laughs> See, so, this is why I've had such a bad form. Oh, piss off. <laughs> No, it is fine. It's hard when you see people. I've got friends that are in Australia, and when you see them getting haircuts and and going to the <laughs> bar, going to gigs, going to gigs. Yeah, like... yeah, well, clowns. I follow yeah. the lead singer of clowns, and the amount of gigs he's 
they're doing now and you and you see them press, jumping press about press club went on tour i think the... press club played like and it just looked like a normal tour I it's think just they, it wasn't half full rooms or anything yeah so but you know what it's happening around the world it will happen for us eventually mm. oh we just have to keep positive as mm. hard as it is it's going to be yeah. hard with all the facebook memories coming up mm. well they're about to end because obviously lockdown started <laughs> and, then no- and then nothing happened well then two years ago we'll see oh <laughs> But we're getting there. I think. I think that's the point. Isn't it? All of my memories are like haste supporting discharge, and in, you know, two days before your fortieth birthday, you lucky devil. You're like, it didn't ah, happen. No. You know, haste the plan rebellion festival, haste the plan fucking <clears throat> all these different things, and yeah. so you know, so that was yeah, that's kind of. I mean, fuck man, like, how spoiled am I? But it did feel like a bit of a kick in the teeth, really, when you're seeing yeah. all of these things that you weren't able to do. But the only way is up, as Yaz once said. <laughs> so. Or possibly not, but I think that the only way at this point is up. I don't think we're doing a very good job of this, but... <laughs> Keep your heads up. <laughs> Look, we're not, we're not... You couldn't even say I that, that sentence. We're not trying to be positive people. No, we are no, trying, to be, we are trying people, to be positive people, but... I think, you can be, I think there is stuff to be taken from... Obviously, the whole thing is shit, but I don't think that means that you can't talk about good, the good aspects yeah. of... A, what might be happening, and B, what you can take. Like, I can say unquestionably that if it weren't for lockdown there's a bunch of things that I wouldn't have done that I've been able to do mm-hmm. I've had the time to we've done some great things I think for our like mental health and for yeah. our relationship and yeah. we've done I've read loads of books I've caught up with all of the you know I've got really into yeah, I've started writing poetry mm-hmm. which I never did before we've done loads we've done loads of stuff yeah. and I think that loads of people have probably done loads of stuff with Definitely. the time that they've that they've been allocated and just because the world is shit doesn't necessarily mean that you can't say, oh, well, actually, there is some good stuff. I think this is the first time I've ever truly appreciated... Dave. No, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) No. I think this is the first time I've ever truly appreciated letting go of things you cannot control Mm. and appreciating what you can control and dealing with those things only. And that's something to say for your mental health because it's easy to say now, but why get tied up in the things that you have no control over and you should be putting your efforts into things you can control. Mm. So, like Dave said, he's been ploughing his brain into doing things he can do, like poetry. You didn't know you could do it, but here you are writing tons and tons of poetry. Well, (laughs) other people think you can, and you've done some good things. And I just think it says a lot for taking the time for yourself Mm. to actually experience what you truly are and what you truly want to do, rather than what everyone in the world tells you they want to do. Um, I've not, you know, we don't get to hang out with other people and get influenced by other people at the minute. So you are left by your own devices. It's a good reason not to look at Facebook and Instagram too much because then that continues to influence you. But if you're left by yourself to just read and think, then I don't know. I think that could be a good thing. I mean, I think that's something that we could. I mean, I feel a little bit like at the start, I'm sure people were having this conversation at the very start of lockdown when we all sort of felt quite freed by the fact that we were given time. I'm sure a lot of people that I sort of, you know, sort of post up on social media and had conversations with, we're kind of looking at it in this sense as well a little bit, yeah. that like, oh, wow, I've just found out that actually, you know, I, I can take up a hobby and I can just do something yeah. for myself. And I've probably for all of us, it, it's got lost along the line a little yeah. bit. But I think that's something that we can take from this. I think when the world yeah. gets back to normal, let's just say the world gets completely back to normal tomorrow, yeah. I think I'm probably going to deal with it in a slightly different way because I've actually learned a little bit from this yeah. year. And I'm sure that's true for most people and and I suppose the other thing is this is something that someone someone said to us just the other day no one's no one's had a cold yeah 
So the other thing about this is probably being much more sensible about us all spreading our fucking germs. <laughs> and like, I don't want to get too over the top with that sort of thing, but... I do miss hugging people. Yeah, do you know what? I don't mean anything about it. I think we should spread our germs I more. think there's some... I'm gonna, the, the first weekend... I'm licking everyone. I'm I'm spreading every fucking germ I've got. (laughs) (laughs) Not all of them. No, I definitely think there's something to be said for, like, taking the time for yourself. Because we've been forced to take time for ourselves now, and people are doing things with it. And if you're not doing something with it, it's fine. But if you want to do something and you're thinking, oh, I never have the time, you probably do have the time. Just go for it. Do something silly. We've been painting lampshades recently, (laughs) and we're not very good at that, but we've done it, so... (laughs) You can do anything We've if you can be bothered. We've got quite into it now. We've bought another three lampshades. <laughs> We're so into painting We've lampshades. only got five lights. Does anyone want a lampshade? <laughs> They're really shit. No, it's fine. Well, uh, talking, talking about um, spending time doing something silly, I think uh, one of the things that Siobhan's got very into is looking up local news from Norfolk. So I think now we're going to go and do a little bit of Norfolk news. <laughs> all right, my little poppets over in Norfolk and all around the land. <laughs> oh, I don't fucking know. I think your accent's going to go all around the land. All right, you can fuck off, Dave. <laughs> there are fresh questions over Japanese restaurant in Norwich Home. Oh, yes, oh yes, we're returning to an old story. My, Mr. Williams, <laughs> my old geography teacher, he's still at it with his fucking Japanese restaurant in his house called Orlando's. Ain't a restaurant, but he's still got that sign up above his door. <laughs> fucking hell. So, a bed and breakfast owner is set to face fresh questions over whether he is running an illicit Japanese restaurant from his home. For the past two years, Orlando Williams has faced consistent allegations that his bed and breakfast on Earlham Road is also operating as a restaurant and takeaway without permission. If you want more information about Mr Williams, please go to episode uh, number four. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, he's, he's a right little bugger. He's been doing this for a few years now. Uh, EDP, we talked about it before, they did this undercover little expose where they went and <laughs> ordered some food and said, can we eat in? And he said, yes, of course you can. And we were like, well, that's, you know, your bed and breakfast, we ain't got a bed and you're letting us stay. That's a restaurant now, isn't it? Anyway, Norwich Council said they couldn't find any evidence that he was using the site as a restaurant or a takeaway, despite EDP's... <laughs> Well, Lovely expose and it says, says Orlando's Japanese <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> However, now he's facing fresh questions over um, the use of his home, and City Hall is going to serve him a plan and contravention notice. <laughs> I'm too Norfolk to read that. I don't fucking know what that says. Anyway, he's been sent a few notices, and his response to this to the EDP, what he said, is, I ain't heard nothing from the council. I run a bed and breakfast. I have a bed and breakfast which I have registered, and that is all I know. When he was asked directly if he was running a restaurant and takeaway, he said, I do not want to talk. All I know is I run a B&B. Perhaps you were talking about someone else. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> oh, he's, he's never going to accept. He's never going to accept it. You're never going to get him. I mean, that's all it is. It's just a little update on uh, he's still at it. He's still running his restaurant. I quite like that this is an ongoing story. I think we should follow this through. My absolute favourite thing about this, really, is that when it came up on uh, the EDP website and when they put it on Facebook for the EDP Facebook bit, you know... I understand. You know how the newspapers have sometimes got a Facebook page. (laughs) Um, I was tagged in it by so many of my mates. (laughs) Who say 
saying, oh, Siobhan, you seen this? He's still at it. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's happening. Well, listenership is and, up. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, literally two people, but it was quite nice. And no, that's two people's listenership is up. Two people's good, isn't it? <laughs> but also, just reading the comments about it, uh, all the other little sausages that have been reading <laughs> the EDP on the Facebook, they're saying, oh, it's like a soap opera, get your popcorn up. Everyone's very excited to see if uh, Mr Williams keep his house uh, running as a restaurant or I not. I on the side he still works as a sort of stand-in geography teacher. He a tha- I'm just going to break Norfolk. He a thousand percent... Sorry. Not that, <laughs> not that I've maintained it in any... It's literally declined every single episode. But um, my friend messaged me, because he was never my geography teacher, but she messaged me saying that he is fucking insane. <laughs> Made her go to detention for, like, giving someone a sharpener once. Pencil sharpener. Mm, said, nope, out of the class, you've got to go to detention. Because it, uh, because because it was because she of the blade? I don't know. She gave someone a pencil sharpener <laughs> and so she was out. And that she had to rewrite all of her work once because he thought her S's looked like fives. <laughs> I said, nope, that's it. Oh, in fairness, I, that's what I would do if I was a teacher. <laughs> no. I'm not putting up with any of this S's and <laughs> fives bullshit. Can't read this shit. <laughs> I never met this teacher, but he sounds like a wacky little man. <laughs> and I hope he keeps his restaurant. I'll be dining there. Actually, I won't, because those pictures of the food that the EDP did order oh, look, look like, like shit. Yeah. So, no offence, mate. Your food looks crap as well. Maybe give it in. Go back to Maybe teaching. Maybe his bed and breakfast would be nice. Do you think his <gasps> bed and breakfast would be nice as Tolly's hours? Do you know what? Hours? We want to go visit... We always <laughs> look for somewhere cheap to stay in Norwich. If it's still open, we're staying here. Yeah. In fact, when everything's back to normal... And if anyone wants to come on a pilgrimage to this bed and breakfast, <laughs> oh look the it punks, up. The punks. It's all La- Orlando's. <laughs> well, the restaurant's called Orlando's, but he's claiming it's a B and B. So look up Orlando's in Norwich. It's B and B, run by Mr. Williams, geography teacher. I'm sure it says that somewhere. <laughs> and we can go get some nice Japanese grub, cooked by this Norfolkian man. Some horrible looking Japanese food and in his bed and breakfast. Stay, stay in a spare room. And he might banish us of all of our pencil shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure you get your S's right before you go. Yeah, do you think that his um, bed and breakfast is as good as Faulty Towers? So, we, yeah, for, <laughs> one, one of our first New Year's Eve. This is together, still Norfolk news, technically. <laughs> in that I'm not it's doing news the about Norfolk. But we, um, for one of our first New Year's Eve together, we had an extremely romantic uh, weekend getaway in which we went to Great Yarmouth for a couple of nights. Amazing. Two and nights, we, which two nights. I was shocked at, if I'm honest. And we, <laughs> and we stayed in a place called Faulty Towers, which is bright yellow and bright blue mixture mm. on, the, on the front. And all of the uh, rooms are named after characters from the programme Faulty Towers. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been... I would guess that they probably last... It lasts all a lick of paint in the 70s or 80s, maybe. 80s Might place. be the last time it was cleaned, if we we're honest. Uh, the people that ran it were just wonderful. But we basically found the, we found the lowest rated um, B&B in, in Great Yarmouth, I think. And if you've ever been to Great Yarmouth, you're not really expecting that any oh, of them will be highly rated. So the I lowest rated is going to be a thing, which was amazing. It smelled like chip fat entirely. Um, mm. The review said, I'm not sure that the owners wash, which was really harsh. Well, they... But then they had politely replied, well, I can assure you we do wash. My husband has a bath yeah. every other day. <laughs> which, you know, I'm was, glad he did because he, he brought out our food. He told us as vegetarians we were likely to get cancer, so yeah. that was nice. It, that was all he said, though. He bought, the, <laughs> he bought our breakfast, put it down on the thing, and he said, you know... Yeah, no go, <laughs> no, that was good. You I'm nearly got it. You know... Uh, I watched you on know, the news. I watched on the news... If you're a vegetarian, 
you're more likely, I can't do it, you're more likely to get cancer. And then just walked off, didn't say anything else. He had about three teeth. He was wonderful. It was Aww. one. It was such he a told, beautiful He told us, oh, the missus, she's having some wine tonight, isn't she? And you're going to have some beers? I'm like, this man's wonderful. He just, oh, no, he did. He's he, very... pulled, he pulled me aside and he said, oh, it's New Year's Eve. Is the missus going to have some wine? Yeah. Are you going to have some beers? I was like, I don't, we don't quite operate in that way. <laughs> he said, we're going low stuff going out on town. Oh, and then they had, and then they had a litter of puppies. Well, we were, we yeah, went, well, we so went, we went the second time. time. <laughs> and the second time we went, they breeded, they bred some puppies, which obviously wasn't particularly pleasant. Oh, yeah. But um, well, but equally, it is were, pleasant because we lovely. got to see puppies. Obviously, it's not nice what they were doing. But um, the dog had given birth while we were there, so mm. we had breakfast in the morning, and they were showing off these tiny, literally like hours old puppies, yeah. which obviously is awful. But also, oh, they were quite cute. But you know, it, it did cushion all... the blow of finding out that I was going to get cancer. Oh, true, as well, it was I, that time. That I, yeah, that I got to, to got to fuss a puppy immediately after. Yeah, it was after offering us tons of bacon and sausages. When he said <laughs> no, he was like, "By the way, you are going to die," and then proceeded to bring us those fried food anyway. What a fucking brilliant! Oh. Uh, I tell you what, that's something I'm doing as soon as we get a lockdown I'm going back to Faulty Towers Faulty Towers been... followed by Orlando's oh fuck yeah it's going to be great we're going to go on a tour of Norfolk yeah so yeah if anyone wants to join us yeah <laughs> we'll get a we'll get a tour bus Norfolk pilgrimage so let's play some music now I think we've gone on long enough about Norfolk oh yeah and we've dropped the well we haven't dropped the accents I, I don't never, think I ever had I it today apologies all my new folkians <laughs> new folkians oh fucking hell <laughs> Let's play a song before you say anything else. Uh, we're going to play Kildren now uh, with their song Expect a Crime Wave. Kildren are fucking brilliant band. That's, well, I'm they just going to say that. They're yeah. from London, although they claim to be from Tunbridge Wells because of some sort of strange joke that they came up with once. Um, <laughs> and uh, they've got a couple of albums out. This is from their newest album, which is called Dismembers of Parliament. They're booked to play What's It Cool Fest this year, so obviously if that goes ahead, um, and Aoife, the singer from Kildren, is also going to be playing a acoustic set mm. on Sunday. So even if you haven't got a ticket, you can come and see her on the Sunday uh, because that is free, Woo-hoo. as I think I've mentioned at some point in yeah. the past. Children are just such a great band. I think they're completely unlike anything else. Um, they call themselves rave punk, so be prepared if you're expecting... I think some, that's exactly what they are. It's exactly what they are, <laughs> but if you're expecting any guitars now, don't. Um, and yeah, here's Children with Expect a Crime Wave. Electrified!
offenders We block legalisation for cannabis production But your husband owns a ganja farm with no obstruction We lose our rights, zero hours of benefits claim Then far for more expensive because they've rigged the game UK stands for unbelievable crime waves Welcome back to the Breakfast Punks podcast. Um, for our main subject today, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about polystyrene and x-ray specs. Um, there's a number of reasons for this at the moment. There seems to have been a bunch of uh, what I'm going to describe as synchronicities uh, based on last week's discussion of yeah. accordionism. As I said earlier, uh, there's a new coffee that I've just released, which is the branding is all around polystyrene. And the reason that I chose that was because she lived in Hastings for the uh for the last sort of 15 years i think of mm. her life and or in St. Leonard's actually um and so i was just sort of celebrating hastings characters really and particularly ones that moved from hastings moved to hastings from london because that's what we did mm. and so i thought that was kind of a nice thing so i picked her and alistair crowley that are obviously extremely different characters <laughs> but both you know both did the same thing and ended their lives in hastings and after that, once I decided to do that and I was getting the artwork done, we then found out that there was a, a brand new film being made called Polystyrene, I Am a Cliché, and actually a book as well, which I think is called the same thing. It might just be called Polystyrene, the book. Yeah, but there's sure. a big coffee table book that's come out as well. Mm. Um, and, yeah, just generally, I, I don't know, I just feel like I've seen a lot about X-ray specs, really, and I think, I think, it, might have been, I think it might have been one of those things where I started listening to them a lot, because... Um, because I was thinking about doing this coffee um, and I did a bit of a deep dive on them and then I think I just started noticing them everywhere. Yeah. So again, I'm not to keep bringing it up, but it's quite a, well, it is quite a, bit, a Robert Anton Wilson. There. It, is a bit, it is a bit strange. The, the synchronicities are there if you look for them, isn't it? But yeah. I remember very much you were <laughs> describing your new coffees about three months ago and then I just so happened to see this news article saying a polystyrene documentary is about to come out, and I was like, "Dave, yeah. this is so weird." I mean, <laughs> like, I'm sure, I mean, it definitely had been in the works for ages. So I wonder if maybe, maybe somewhere in my yeah, who knows? Anyhow, hey. um, so polystyrene 
I'm sure most people probably know her, but I'll give a very quick sort of brief history. Um, polystyrene was uh, born in Bromley. Which is another weird thing to say, because that's where you were born. She was born in Bromley <laughs> and she died in Hastings, and I was born Uh-oh. in Bromley and I plan on dying in Hastings, so hey. She was 53 but, when she died, so, so no, yeah, all right. No, that's, that's better than I expected, in fairness. Um, she was born in Bromley, but she was brought up in Brixton. Um, she was um, quite an unusual uh, character, I think, for the time, in a lot of ways. She was she very much considered herself a hippie, and she sort of ran away from home. And she hitchhiked to a lot of like the free festivals and things like this that were going on in, I guess, the, the early 70s. And uh, she ended up in London, and she ended up being around the punk scene, she had a shop on, Queen, on the she King's did, Road. She did, on the King's Road. Yeah, yeah. So she... Actually, here's another funny little um, synchronicity oh, from yeah. her. I think I'm just really looking for her. She was really involved in the fringe theatre, an alternative theatre, hmm. in the early 70s, which means that she would have very much been around the same people that put on the Robert Allen Wilson play... Um, the Illuminati, the Illuminati yeah. trilogy, which we talked about last week. So... I mean, that's totally me just connecting the dots. But she would have definitely been, I mean, you know... I mean, she'd have been, like, I don't know, 15, 16? Yeah, but that's when she was doing... That's the thing, that's when she was doing all of this stuff. Amazing. Um, She did have an initial, uh, very brief solo career. She released a single called Silly Billy, which wasn't really punk. It was more of a sort of reggae kind of fusion thing. Yeah. Um, And then, on her 19th birthday, uh, polystyrene came to Hastings just for a day trip and while she was down here she happened to see a poster for the Sex Pistols who were playing on Hastings Pier um, and thought she'd give it a crack and she went and saw Sex Pistols it was very very early they didn't have their own songs they were still yeah they were playing covers and um, it inspired her basically she really you know in the same way that I think you know that classic story that everyone tells about seeing early punk bands where you think god if they can do it I can do it Mm. And um, she came away and just thought, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start a band like that. I don't think she ever, at the time, she says, I think there's different um, things said about this, but I don't think she really considered herself a punk as such. I think she just considered herself a sort of a weirdo, really, for one of the yeah, she's. I think she famously never considered herself a punk, yeah. actually. As did no one from that, to be honest. Mo- you watch a lot of documentaries about this kind of era, and actually, a lot of those people around that time said that they didn't consider themselves punk. And mm. there was a lot of different music coming together, but it was just the same little group of people. And I guess she ended up being a part of that, it's just weird... by definition of turning up on the King's Road and making music in the way that they did. It was more of an ethos at that time, wasn't it? Definitely yeah. wasn't considered it's, a. It's, I suppose it's a weird like punk at that time must have been very strange because we look at it as being this thing mm. that happened. But actually, in reality, it wasn't even called punk when most of these bands got together, yeah. I, I suppose. Um, or if it was, it was called punk in New York, but it wasn't necessarily called punk in London. Yeah, they punk, weren't considered and, the same thing, really, yeah, were they? Yeah, they weren't really connected, were they, in, in the way that we would be now. If a, if a yeah. new musical movement started in, on the other side of the world, you would know what it was called. Probably. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but so she came back, she formed X-Ray Spec, she was very much kind of the mind behind the band X-Ray Spec, she put it together... She uh, she wrote all the lyrics and she kind of just sang them at the band and then I think they just worked out song arrangements around her. Um, they had their di- debut live show at the Roxy, which is the, I'm sure everyone knows, but is the punk venue, the original sort of London punk venue. It didn't last for very long, but it's infamous. If you ever look at uh, a show, uh, you know, a, a billing poster from the Roxy, 
everyone. It, it's like everybody that headlines Rebellion now, plus <laughs> plus a load of other bands who are long dead, uh, but just the biggest bands you could possibly think of, all playing like four on a bill. Um, you know, in in Covent Garden, Covent Garden was a very different place at the time. Mm. Ro- the Roxy story is quite interesting, actually. That um, I mean, Covent Garden was literally no one was there; everyone had kind of given up on it, and it was it was sort of a pl- place where you know prostitutes and drug deals were mm. really. Um, and they just they found this little storefront, which I think had previously been a gay bar, a gay club, and then they just took it over. Like I say, it didn't last very long. I'm sure it was completely chaotically run and. and and everyone was very scared of punk at the time, so <clears throat> so it very much you know it went out of went out of business very early. She was then, or they were then, um, initially picked up by Virgin Records, um, who released just a seven inch by them, uh, which was the classic song "Old Bondage Up Yours," um, which I think is probably the song they remember for the most. Yeah. <clears throat> Following on from that seven inch, which obviously got a lot of buzz, uh, they signed with EMI. And they would go on to release, I think, six singles in total, and then um, and then the album Germ Free Adolescence, which was literally half singles and half non-singles. Mm. The earliest two, I think, are probably there. I mean, the album is flawless. It's it's really is one of the classic albums from from that era. But the first two singles that actually came off the album, which is the the day the world turned day glow and the song Identity. Um, which I think is absolutely their finest moment for me, are just absolute classics. And I think all three of those singles, I mean, again, the album is flawless, but those three singles just uh, are some of the best songs that came out of um, all of that early punk scene. So, yeah, so then they, they released the album and then soon after broke up. Prior to this, they were playing a gig in Doncaster at some point in 1978 and Polystyrene saw a UFO. And, <laughs> um, and it was... You know, it was generally considered uh, the first sort of sign that she was suffering from uh, mental health problems. Um, again, there's not a lot of discussion about this. If you read about Polystyrene, there's not much discussion about this. But in the movie, uh, they talk quite a lot about when they, following on from this, they went to um, they went to New York and they played at CBGBs. And I think that she found the experience of going to New York extremely difficult in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but more or less, once they got back from New York, that was kind of the end of the band. She did go on to make a solo album um, not too long afterwards. Uh, the solo album isn't anything in the same uh, realm as X-Ray Specs whatsoever. Um, for my money, it's horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> kind. Kind words from it's a, it's a really dreadful album. Um, well, on uh, on this thing that I'm reading, it says it's been described as a foreshadowing to later work by Everything But The Girl. So, well, yes. Well, there you go. It's <laughs> a, a ruin music, in other words. Poor love. And yeah, and then really, that, those were her active years. She did go on later on in life to, she did make another album much later on, and she released a couple of songs here and there as well. Mm. But um, really, the, the sort of, the work that she's remembered for was, so once the band broke up, she... She suffered from a lot of mental health problems and then eventually uh, became a Hare Krishna, moved in a, a Hare Krishna, is it an Akram? I think that's what they're called. I think so. Um, and then later on moved to St. Leonard's. And really her story her story gets quite vague. It's, you know, probably quite understandable. We'll talk a little bit about that. So I thought that maybe we would start with the album because there is only one album. It's called Germ-Free Adolescence. And so I thought we would start with that. Where do you think that it ranks as far as great 
punk albums and also I think it's probably important to think about it in the context of being a UK a very early one of the first UK punk albums um I so I only heard it relatively recently in my life I knew of Oh Bondage Up Yours um but and I now listening to the album I realized I had heard some of those songs before because I think they're these classic songs that influence so many other things so you can hear elements of her and their songwriting in tons of other stuff. Mm. So when I heard uh, Gem Free Adolescence, I realised, A, I'd heard some of these songs before, and B, I've heard songs that really reference them. I think they were absolutely so different to everything else around that time. Mm. And we were talking earlier about how we found out about music and punk from the uh, uh, late 70s. And generally, for me and for Dave, we were saying that we had these punk compilations that were often crappily made and had the same, you know, it depended on what was on those compilations you heard as a kid as to what you grew up thinking UK punk probably had in it. Or punk generally. Or punk generally. And so I had a compilation that I had that had some Sex Pistols on it. Probably didn't actually have any Clash on it. It was very much late 70s stuff earing into what came later so there's buzzcocks and there's sex pistols and then after that it kind of becomes a bit what people would call post-punk or new wave mm. especially the english versions of that which kind of went you know very quickly into things like squeeze which is really bad so <laughs> well no but you, yours did have squeeze but on, mine mine yeah. went that way and yeah. and tudor pole uh, no tudor pole yeah temple, Ten, tudor. temple tudor and mm. all that kind of stuff so my kind of introduction into punk very quickly goes into like <laughs> beyond Pop, punk really. and goes into yeah. adamant like, yeah. <laughs> so there's a whole little world that kind of gets skipped by in my history of uk punk music mm. and i must say that x-ray specs fell into that until listening to music again watching some of the documentaries from the past more recently and just hearing that album i was just like i wish that uh, you shouldn't really regret anything that you did or didn't experience but I really wish that I'd heard X-Ray Specs when I was younger and heard her voice, heard polystyrene mm. screaming what she was screaming. Because also, she has this really urgent, amazing voice, but when you watch her perform, it's just effortlessly coming out of her. Mm. And watching the documentary that um, has just come out, just hearing about her writing style and her just, like, just writing poetry that she was just thinking of at the time. That her poetry's you amazing. Could, we'll well, you could, that, yeah, and you could probably... Film, thing about the yeah. Film. yeah, but like all of what she was singing about was so simple and so effective, mm. and it was just so interesting to hear. And again, in the documentary, she talks about how it wasn't specific to any one group of people, it was actually just a general feeling. And I don't know, there's something about that kind of <clears throat> being able to speak to so many different people with very few words and not just speak, but like absolutely yell those words out and sing them actually that's the other yeah, thing she's got a she was voice. singing yeah. which at the time people were just like it's punk you can do what you want and that means you don't have to sing whereas she was still able to sing in a way that was really amazing and different I, th- I think her voice definitely does have a little bit of johnny rotten in it which i don't know if i'm not sure if anybody else would agree with that to be honest because i do appreciate it's, it's a, a bit it's snarly not, but it, there's something there is something about it that i feel like had had out of any punk singer that i can think of She's yeah. the, probably the person that's that's closest to 
to doing what he was doing in comparison. Because I think yeah. one of the interesting things about UK punk then, and, and probably all, all punk really, at that time, was that it all sounded so different. Mm. But in so many ways, going back to that thing you were talking about, uh, about uh, the compilations that we found out about punk about, yeah. the one that I had, had some really weird shit on it. And so my understanding of what punk was was really messed up because it because it, the album that I got it had like the Dead Kennedys on it which obviously didn't really fit in with the fact that it also had the Exploited and the Damned on it yeah. but it also had some really weird post-punk stuff on it as well so like my understanding of what punk was was just this really weird hodgepodge but of mm. course I'm you know I'm a teenager and I get the thing and so I just I just presume that all of those bands are just the same that is what it, yeah. that is, what it is and X-Ray Specs were not on that and one of the things that I'd say about the and you know you can obviously say this about every single music scene ever but i think early uk punk had so few female voices in it mm-hmm. and and had zero people of color yeah. in it you know as far as on the stage yeah. it was concerned anyway and i mean it's an obvious thing to say really but polystyrene was just this incredibly different human yeah. being mixed up in what was whilst we look at you know you talk about punk particularly from that time and and you know the the narrative of punk is always that oh you know in the 70s we were listening to all of these like white hillbilly bands like the eagles and all of this prog metal mm. bands which was all university people and then you know we came out and we were really different but actually fundamentally the it, in in london anyway and and in the uk the punk scene wasn't really any different you know yeah, it was, it was just it was it was a, yeah it was a bunch of blokes most of whom were just like fucking idiots really yeah. And they did make some really special music, and some of them weren't idiots. Some of them were complete, you know, amazing people. Yeah. But I think if you compare, because I mean, the three main scenes, obviously, from that time that everyone talks about is New York, London, and, and uh, Los Angeles. Mm. And in New York, there were some female voices. More. There still were. Yeah. Still nowhere near like equal in any way. But there was more female voices in LA. It was really uh, the yeah. early punk scene in LA was like was a real mixture of people of different races and people of different genders mm. but in london no it just it just wasn't and 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 that is what it is it was a different time and, it, and i'm not really taking anything away necessarily from the other bands that were involved because like i say some of them did some really special things but in comparison to that x-ray specs just stand out yeah you know from a modern eye particularly looking at the you know looking back from from 2021 you know at, at 1977 Polystyrene is probably the only person involved, or, and maybe Susie, um, and to some extent. I mean, that's it. Maybe, yeah, that's it. Well, because oh, maybe Joe, Joe Strummer, maybe you you can see that those that there's there's people that in 2020, you know, or even or even in the last ten years or something, people could look back on and say, yeah, that person was a. But you don't look back on Captain Sensible and think, oh, what a, what a, an interesting human mm-hmm. being. You just see a fucking man with his trousers around his ankles being, yeah. a, being a knob. And you don't think of that. And, you know, some of them have ruined themselves. John Lydon sold Tory butter. Otherwise, potentially as difficult a human being as he is, I think that he was a more interesting person until he decided that he liked Brexit. But he wasn't, and, yeah. And, yeah. There was a bit in the documentary that made me think... Geez, she had so much to deal with with the London scene at that time. Because like you say, it was slightly more all-inclusive in some of the other scenes. Like CBGB's had bands that had, you know, quite... Females were represented Hmm. a bit, you know, 
Debbie Harry's there. You've got um, Thing Me from Talking Heads oh, are there. Patty Smith, Patty mean, Smith is really, leading you it. You had some really strong. Yeah, and then in LA you've got Thing Me from uh, X. Yeah, 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 and the Germs, but you and also Germs, had yeah. in LA you had loads of people that maybe weren't in bands or ended up in yeah. bands, but they weren't like the Go Go's and stuff. They yeah. were all really involved in the scene, and if you ever there was, you know, pictures of pictures of a bunch of people yeah. at a gig in LA is a is a whole mixture of, yeah. of hum, humanity. And so, one thing that was picked up on the documentary <clears throat> is there's some people that would now and probably then have considered themselves pretty right on. I'm talking about Don Letts here. Bless mm. him. I know he's from around or does things from around this way but he has always you know in his documentaries storytelling and he's always put himself across as pretty right on Hmm. and there's a bit in this documentary where he describes a scene that i don't think actually he he was a bit apologetic for it but i don't think any of them are as apologetic as they probably should have been where they're all sitting around johnny rotten's house and polystyrene's there but he's getting talked over and is, is pretty much not part of the conversation at all she's locked in a cupboard for a while by sid vicious at one point for a laugh so she's already essentially being bullied by lads and Don Lutz is like yeah no you know we're all a bit of lads then and it just you can it, all of a sudden just hear things are getting excused and, mm. and, and you can tell that everyone would excuse anything and to be honest she probably didn't really know what else to be doing at that time it must have been so hard but they describe a scene where she goes to the toilet and she's gone for about half an hour and no one even really gives a shit until she reappears and she's cut all her hair off and it it's a really powerful thing that she's done in the end. Um, but they laugh at her. And the, and Dominic is quite open about how everyone laughed at her when she came out the toilet. Yeah. Um, I mean, was not... just like, God, she's gone mad. She's mad again. She's just done a... St-. You know, mm. she's so disrespected. But I love that what she was able to do, I think a week later, she goes to the... Is she it Rock the... Against Racism yeah, in Victoria the big, Park? The, the famous big and she's yeah. got a scarf wrapped around her head. And her managers have said, do not take your scarf mm. off. Like, no one can see that you've shaved your head. Which would have been a big deal at the time, because skinhead culture is about to start surfacing. Well, also, well, no, it's about to start surfacing. That's what that whole rock against oh, yeah, of course. was. <laughs> <laughs> so, she's, you know, skinhead culture is what they're battling against, of course. And she's like, yeah, 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 no, I won't take it off. And then she's flirtatiously starting to unwrap her <laughs> scarf, and she shows her head, and it is big news, like... Women were meant to be pretty, and even in punk, still wearing makeup, still looking quite pretty, even if it was outrageous. And there she is, chubby, with braces, shaved head, unapologetic, and she is completely, as far as I'm concerned, completely taking that power back. And all those stupid boys in that room, you know, who laughed at her and locked her in cupboards, and all these people that told her not to do all these things, I just think that it was just mm. so incredibly amazing. And I just, I just wish that I knew any of this long long time ago because what a legend i think that that whole aspect of her sort of look and just her being a person of color it full stop like outside of punk was almost more important in a mainstream context as well yeah. because of course at this point they're one of the most popular bands in the country yeah. if not i think you know they're big around the world too and so they're on top of the pops and you know and she's she's being seen in all of these extremely mainstream uh, things and there's you know she's got posters in smash hits or what well, probably wasn't smash hits but whatever you yeah. know in in magazines and stuff and she doesn't look like anybody else no. you know not even you know even ignoring punk she's she's a comp- and not only is she a person of color not only is she got braces not only is she not you know she, she's just a sort of natural uh person She's also wearing bin bags or she's wearing yeah. these amazing fashions, which she made herself. Yeah. Totaled like DIY culture, you know, like we said, like prior to 
being in x-ray specs she made clothes and sold them on the king's road exactly. and the stuff she was making was fucking Bonkers. amazing yeah. crazy stuff that i don't know she was it's just, just she was an amazingly inspiring human being that did so much in such a short period of time for not just for music the music was great and that was important but she herself i think revolutionized or didn't but should have yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure once, she, once she'd gone she was forgotten about by main, the mainstream world mm. and everything went back to normal but you know in a lot of ways she she really just skewered skewered everything and, I think you know. yeah I think she must have been such an influence on other women at that time specifically mm. who would have just been like it's a boys club because it is it's a boys club up until then and the women are there for example there's a documentary we watched where Chrissy Hind is in all these different bands but she's not actually in a band until she makes her own band she because, was in bands but she wasn't well, she in is, bands she was properly. in the clash and she was yeah, in the band but, but she's never really like <laughs> yeah. I feel for her she was probably this you know woman that was in all these different bands in all these different places but oh, she had the last laugh though I mean the pretenders oh, yeah. were <laughs> 10 times bigger than yeah, any of those bands she smashed but... it in the end but you know what I mean there's no like massive female representation no. that's inspiring at any point but i think polystyrene getting up there doing her thing as she did mm. really unapologetically because she wasn't cool whereas i think Susie sue was quite cool yeah yeah she whereas was, yeah, yeah whereas polystyrene is like i'm wearing a bin bag screaming yeah. <laughs> whatever the fuck i feel like yeah. yelling singing being amazing and people around that time must have just been like holy shit yeah mm. she's actually doing it mm. I've, I, got well, my, I've got my inspiration I now. wonder I wonder if people at the time did look at it like that I, I feel like it's something that reverberates more so through history Polystyrene looks more like somebody from the last five years yeah and acts more like somebody from the last five years than somebody from the 1970s and mm. I feel like probably in the 70s it was almost too much and I'm sure you know as much as we would like to you know it'd be nice if the narrative was she came along became very famous and then the whole world changed and nobody yeah. cared about what they looked like anymore or whatever but actually in reality what happened was it sowed a seed that slowly yeah. and a lot you see this a lot in punk and i mean i think that definitely like the riot girl movement uh would have happened but was well i mean bikini kill extremely yeah uh, kathleen hannah like, talks about influence. polystyrene often but i think generally if it's it's that seed that kind of it slowly picks up kind of over the course of a number of years you suddenly you know you suddenly find bikini kill exist and then you suddenly find you know there's just these different steps that go on and on and on to where we are now which is still far from perfect of course but oh of course i mean everything she sang about then is so relevant still now i think something that was picked up in the film and i think led to her kind of becoming unwell and i think is probably like a sad thing is she was obviously such a kind, nice person. She was so young. Mm. And I've written down here that she was just overwhelmed by consumerism, general fame, and the unkindness of people. Yeah. And I just thought, isn't that ridiculously sad? But isn't that so still appropriate? Like, there's this person who was so talented, so wonderful, a bit different, and people just can't handle that at all yeah. like some of the documentaries with her asking her stupid questions and she's only 19 and they're asking her about being yeah. sex and well because obviously oh bondage up yours comes with the connotations con- yeah connotations that it does and 
she knew she, she and she was that. and she, she dealt, dealt with it so amazingly well. Yeah. well but i think it gives people free reign to then just come at you with any questions they fancy you've mm. sung a song about bondage so we've we've got free reign to talk about your image talk about if you're a sex symbol talk about all this stuff and, and this is in a time as well where the mainstream press would have asked every woman all of the questions oh, that we wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't dare. There's no way you would they would be asked anymore. Well, they probably you know I mean? are still asked now. I don't think to that extent. I mean, yeah, maybe, but I yeah, don't think to that depressing. In fact, definitely still... not. Journalism's definitely changed in that context. No, no. Well, I've watched a lot of docu- a lot of footage of people like Rihanna and Taylor Swift having to fat get rid of shitty questions they still get asked that men don't get asked but I th- yeah, no, I oh, know. Oh, sorry, don't yeah. get me wrong. I didn't mean that about being like sexual whatever. Yeah. yeah. But it is just shit that she was so young, so nice, so potentially naive, mm. managed it intellectually and really well. But just like, it's so sad to see how quickly someone who's potentially that vulnerable became. Well, that probably moves on to the later part of her story. So, I mean, so like we say, we watched the uh, the Polystyrene I, uh, I Am a Cliche movie, uh, which deals with a lot of this. The film's made by her daughter, Celeste Bell. And. Um, it does. It. I would say it kind of um, spends about half the film talking about more or less the sort of stuff that we've been talking about, i.e., dealing with her, the career that she had, um, and then after that, it kind of moves on to the late part of her life, and it's and it's quite a sad story, really. I mean, so the long and short of it is, polystyrene. Shortly after that um, thing that Dave talked about earlier, where she saw a pink thing in the sky and it was a UFO, and she thought she'd been uh, kind of interacted with. She was sectioned and diagnosed with schizophrenia, which was a misdiagnosis at the time. And later in the 90s, she's diagnosed with bipolar. And it then begins this kind of in and out of hospital scenario that she has, some of which she's still in the band. They don't really... Generally speaking, the film just says she was in and out of hospital. Mm. It's not really clear as to how much of her life she actually spent. She was sectioned at some point very early on, like you say, when she was still in the band. But it's a bit unclear as to whether she, how much time she actually spent. There's, there's a point at which her daughter says that the first time she saw herself on TV was when she was in hospital, mm. which made me think it must have been quite, only about a year. It couldn't have been far in because they were on top of the pops quite early. Mm. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not clear, but it sounds like she was sectioned mm. and out of hospital and sectioned and out of hospital in the same time that she's in the band and playing. So it must have been really difficult. And then it's just her, her kind of story from there is it just feels like it's really straining. Mm. The you know the world in the pop industry has been pretty brutal on her. The band ends. She tries this solo stuff doesn't really particularly go well. She has a child when she's I think she must have only been about twenty I don't know twenty three by the time yeah. twenty four I think we worked yeah. out when she has a her daughter, and she's not particularly well at this time either mm. and, and that's what her daughter spends quite a lot of the documentary talking about how it was growing up with a mum who had this life as a you know a punk before her being born and then being a young child around a mother who's still suffering the a bipolar disorder that's not potentially very well controlled and is also still getting recognized in the street by people who think she's polystyrene still exactly which i suppose is, must have been a, a but, very difficult thing but also hasn't got the money because mm. they're not earning any money at this point from x-ray specs at all so poor mother's not very well 
So it does uh, quite a lot. Of the documentary focuses on this kind of sa- kind of it's, it's quite a sad overtone at this point because it would have been quite a difficult life for them both. She was obviously quite lost. Yeah. Because she ended up becoming a Hare Krishna. Well, yeah. She, so she goes to. I think she leaves her daughter behind with her mum. Mm. Her mum who lives in St Leonard's, and uh, she goes to India, um, and hangs out with uh, Laura Logic, who she kicked out of X Ray Specs mm. years before. Um, or do they hang out there, or is it in Hertfordshire when she comes home? I think it might be both. I think it might be both. Yeah. So she goes to India for, I think... It's not really sure how long. It can't have been This bit of the film, long. I have to say... What did you think of the film? Uh, Sorry. Because <laughs> I, I didn't think these oh, stuff... I, I only pro- asked because this stuff wasn't told very well. I, I think. think the problem with the film, and this is probably not going to be a very nice thing to say, and I think it's because we look for disorders in people the whole time, as <laughs> mental health nurses, but I think... The story of the film ended up giving a good reflection of it must have been difficult and how much strain polystyrene felt in her life. I thought that was given quite well. But I think on the flip side, it was half a story about how hard it was to be the daughter of polystyrene and not necessarily all about polystyrene all the time, which made the storytelling a bit difficult because there was times when something was going on in polystyrene's life, but it was told via... I was stuck with Nan. Mm. And it didn't really necessarily tell you what polystyrene was up to. It was more, it was really hard when Mum wasn't here. Which is fine, but that's not necessarily what I thought the documentary was going to be about. I think despite that, though, it, 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 and it didn't really tell that side of the story very well either. Like, there's an interesting film to be made about I'm the daughter of someone who was famous and, um, and then suffered from bipolar disorder all of mm. her life, and it made our lives very difficult. There's, there's definitely a extremely worthwhile um, and interesting documentary to be made about that. But they didn't make that documentary. Mm. They kind of almost... It was almost like they pretended to make that documentary. They didn't really talk about, um, actually, her mental health. They didn't really talk about... the. They, they refer a lot to these difficult behaviours. They refer to things like she says that the social workers came around and she had to climb out the window. Yeah. Which, by the way... I would mean, have been not... that would be that would have been kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. So there's no that definitely <laughs> that didn't. didn't I don't know if that's sort of some sort of you know. I suppose different people's memories work strangely, but I can assure you that in the, what what would have probably been in the nineties, social workers didn't come round and knock on your bedroom window they didn't and steal, steal your window, steal you away steal from you. your mother. Yeah, I can. That's unquestionable. But um, but I feel like they just didn't they didn't really address what the difficulties of having bipolar disorder are. They talked about it in such generalities. You know, we talk a lot about mental health, as we should, in the, you know, in, in the modern um, world, if you like. But we don't talk very much about people that are acutely I'm mentally not. ill. Yeah. We talk about depression, we talk about anxiety. Again, we definitely should. These are all really good things. And not, not, you know, I'm not bad-mouthing those, you know, those or, the, or the discussion about them very much. But we don't address how difficult it is for the person and for the family around them if they're suffering from acute or long-term, you know, schizophrenia or, or bipolar disorder, and yeah. that, that, and and I and I just feel a little bit like this film, it it was, it kind of didn't quite tell her story. It didn't say, okay, polystyrene did some amazing things for like three or four years of her life. So let's concentrate on that and let's tell a really good story about all the amazing things she did. Mm-hmm. It didn't really tell that story. It kind of did, but it, it didn't really go into it enough because then it spent half the film talking about 
another two things that both of which could have made a really interesting film. It talked about the fact that she had a bipolar disorder and the fact that she joined a Hare Krishna temple. Both of those things in of themselves could have been an hour and a half long documentary, which would have been extremely interesting and probably quite worthwhile in a way. Mm. But I feel like they just kind of... I didn't like... The, I thought the film felt like a vanity project for the daughter. I'll be honest. Well, and, and, and I think that... I can understand why, and I think that they probably made a decision to do that, but there was a lot of really strange filmatic decisions. We talked about this before. There was a lot of bits where... They, so the talking heads, the people that are interviewed for it, they're not shown. That You just hear their voices... <clears throat> and this is a little bit of a selfish point and it's a very practical one but I find that really difficult because I'm not very good at concentrating and so I lost often I would hear someone's voice and I couldn't work out who it was so they had people who had been in the band with her they had, but they had some amazing people they had Kathleen Hanna they had Pauline Black they had all of these incredible people and there were times in the film where these people were talking and, the, and what they showed on the film was like the daughter shopping or the daughter, and when they talked about her going to New York, the daughter went and stood in Times Square for 20 minutes, and they filmed her in sort of artistic ways. And I just thought, the film's not really about her, and it's more, it's more about, surely it's more, more about like the people that, you know, the people that were in the band with her, her ex-husband who's talking about, you know, all the problems that she had uh, with her mental health and things. Wouldn't it have been a better film if we had seen these people? And for me, and again, it's a practical thing because I feel like I would connect with them more. It felt very sort of, I felt really cut off from those people because it was just someone's voice would pop up and say something about it. And I think that would have worked really well if the, if the film was like, Polystyrene is such an amazing human that we're just going to tell this incredible story about her. We're going to find loads of images of her and we're not going to concentrate on the talking heads. We're not going to have all of these people talking we'll have them talking, but we'll show her. That makes sense. Like that's, that's like a celebration of this amazing person. It's weird to me that it ended up being a bit of a celebration of this daughter that no one really went to see the film for. Yeah. I don't know if that, maybe that's a bit harsh. I don't really know. But it just, it, it just felt... It lost me a bit, the film. And I couldn't work out why. And, and I've thought about it quite a lot. And I think, I think it's... I think it's a mixture of things, but I think it's because I was frustrated that they didn't really address how hard it must have been for her to live with bipolar disorder for 30 years. And and also because I just, I felt almost a little bit like, like she was removed from her own story. Hmm. Almost. It was like, here's a story about polystyrene, but we're not really going to hear her voice. She, the diary entries, they use some diary entries, which I think are in the book that they released and, and some poems and stuff. And they've got somebody reading diary entries. Ruth and, yeah, and in the and in the first um, the first half probably of the film, and it does pop up here and there, but the first half of the film, they use that as a narrative thing, and she writes beautifully. The poetry is fucking brilliant. The diary entries are like I could you know I could listen to someone read all of her diary entries, and it's like that's that's really fucking good stuff that shows how talented polystyrene was. Why aren't why aren't you using that as the narrative structure of the film? Why aren't I hearing her voice throughout this film? Mm. I feel like I heard the voice for the first half of it, and then it's just like, oh, and then she got bipolar disorder, and now we're not going to hear anything from her anymore because it probably probably some of the things that she wrote when she had bipolar disorder were a little bit difficult or a little bit mm. you know, but poorly written or something. And it's like, no, fuck that. That's what I want to hear. You know, that's yeah. I mean, but I think the 
thing is, that's not what this is. It's made by her daughter, isn't it? So it's going to... That I think they've set out to make. I think what they've made is exactly what she set out to make. and But it's just not what you want. It's called... No, I don't think that's fair. It's called polystyrene. I am a cliche. So the I in that title is polystyrene. It's about... But I it's think, about the the person, I think. But I think that it's told from a daughter who had a difficult relationship with her mum, who references... So her mum talks about being anti-consumerism and her mum sa- and she says, but my mum loved shopping. I think that's mm. kind of the element that her mum, her daughter was doing it from, which is she was this, but to me she was this. But and she, that's difficult, but... I want to tell that story, and that involves... But she didn't tell and, that story. And it involves no, her... Because I think one thing you said she didn't do that I think actually you think she did do was how hard it was... It didn't focus on how hard it was to be polystyrene, no. but I think it did show how hard it is to have a mum with bipolar. But that... But yeah, which, I agree, but it didn't show... But this is what... I'm, it, that's exactly my point. My point is, is that the voice of people hmm. with severe mental health problems are so rarely heard yeah. in mainstream culture yeah in fact almost all i think you, you know i thought back to like the bethlehem i used to work at the bethlehem and there's a they've got a museum there the bethlehem museum that's got loads of artwork from uh people who made art in the mm. bethlehem over the course of however many hundreds of years that the bethlehem's been there and there's some incredible pieces of art in there right mm. the artists themselves are not remembered the mm. curator of that museum is almost like a celebrity because people like the idea of looking at art mm. made by people who have mental mental health problems, particularly in a historical context, mm. because they don't feel threatened by it. But they don't want to know about these poor people that were mm. actually suffering from mental health problems. Yeah. What they want is a nice, clean face of somebody who says, here, look at all of this art that I've got. And then that person is the face of... of mental health art I can't remember the guy's name I think he's dead now but he was there when I was at the hospital and um he was he was genuinely quite a quite a celebrity within the sort of art world and stuff and I sort of felt a little bit like and I I mean I'm probably connecting too many dots here but I felt a little bit like that's what happened in this film it was like here's this woman who's got bipolar disorder let's have her daughter just talk over let's not have her voice anymore yeah let's let's have because, yeah, okay, she's dead now, so she she can't be interviewed, so she can't be asked about all of this stuff herself. But then, you know, there's got to be... Even if it's anecdotally from other people, because the daughter didn't seem to have a relationship with her for most of her adult life either. So a lot of this was just kind of her saying, oh, you know, I moved to Milan, she said at one point, and, you know, I lived with my grandma for a long time. And, and all of that's interesting. I'm not saying that shouldn't have been in the film, but I feel like there was something missing. And what was missing was... What was it like for polystyrene, yeah. the person who this film is about, to suffer from bipolar disorder for 30 years and lose her daughter? Yeah, OK, it was horrible for the daughter to have yeah. that relationship with her mother. But what was it like for her? And that's what gets lost in this film that is about her. That's all. Yeah, I just think this is exactly the film that her daughter was always like I don't I'm not surprised once it started I realised this was what the film was going to be yeah. and that's it's not pretending not to be that I don't think I think it's meant to be this is I'm the daughter of polystyrene and this is what it was like being the daughter of polystyrene here's a bit about her life here's more than you've ever heard about her what it was like to be her and be mentally unwell 
But you're right, there's limitations to how much the daughter can tell because the daughter was not old at that time. And she's decided, they've made a decision not to delve into it. Yeah. Which is, you know, people wanted, you wanted more, but that's not what I don't think, I don't think that's what she was intending to I, do. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but one of the ways that I've been thinking about it is there's probably not ever going to be another documentary that's made about yeah, polystyrene, and there hasn't been one. There, was, there, there is a crappy one that the BBC made, um, I think more or less at the time. But she's definitely a really underrepresented yeah. person. Um, and partly, I'm sure some of this, I'm sure some of it is probably a patriarchal thing where they make a punk documentary and she just gets left out. But I'm sure some of it was also practical because most documentaries and most books that have been made while she was alive, she probably wasn't in a place where she was capable of hmm. re- or, or wanted to... Um, be involved in them so her voice never got heard in any of that i don't think and in a funny sort of way that probably adds to her mystique i mean i think that there's something to be said about the fact that she only had those three years and then she sort of vanished from public life because it meant that she didn't well you know the the crappy album that she made and the i mean the the song that they played off her newest album which in fairness everything i've read i haven't listened to it but everything i've read about it says that it's really good but um I mean, Jesus Christ! That song that they played that was about MySpace didn't didn't age well. No, <laughs> not just because it was about MySpace, but um... I thought it was good. I thought, unfortunately, the beginning set the tone a bit, and I think that's going to rub some people up the wrong way. Which is her daughter; she's got a an attitude that comes through from the beginning of this is how hard my mm. life was, mm. and I think. And her life was people... hard. I don't want to... The daughter seems nice. Sorry. I don't want to... You know, I'm not bad mouth her. But I think anyone who has that attitude, even if they don't 100% mean it, rubs certain people up the wrong way, and you're definitely one of them. So no, I think... I, no, no, I no. Think it... You've misjudged me completely. I, I wasn't rubbed up the wrong way by her as a human being. It's not about... It's not about the fact that they made a film about how hard it was to be Polystyrene's daughter. That's fine. I just think that Polystyrene's voice got lost yeah after the point where she became mentally ill yeah and i find that very sad yeah that's all i will say i actually really liked a lot of things about the film oh yeah i really liked it (laughs) i mean i think some of the it's definitely worth watching we watched it so we got now tv or whatever it's called for a free trial in order to watch it and so it was presented on there as if it was a tv show like it had advert break or didn't have have adverts but I don't know, I presume it wasn't made that way, but it did, maybe it was just that and it tricked me, but it made it feel a little bit like it was a kind of made-for-TV thing, and I was expecting much more of a, I knew it had gone to film festivals and stuff, I thought it was going to be, frankly, I thought it was going to be slightly more artistically made than it was, and it felt a little bit more nuts and bolts. But they found loads of incredible archive footage, and there were some really things that you just couldn't imagine existing, like there was the footage of the Sex Pistols playing on Hastings Pier and you could see polystyrene in the audience. I mean, that's just... How the fuck they could have found that, mm. I don't know. And there was like there was some really rough like footage of a really early... Maybe even the first X-ray specs practice, I think. Someone yeah, had I think like was. a black and white film and stuff. So, I mean, it's it's definitely worth watching, this film. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to... I don't want to... My point isn't really that the film is shit. My point is just the film could have dealt with some very important things that aren't dealt with enough yeah i think i think yeah i i agree i agree that from when she became unwell onwards it doesn't really hear her voice 
But I think the bits that you do hear are so important and they are really, really, really interesting. Just mm. hearing about... I think it does a really good job of explaining exactly how tough it was being that young, mm. being that nice... And that talented. And that talented mm. in a world where she just wasn't respected 100% as she should have been. And to be honest, who knows if she would be even now. Like, the world's better, but what she was saying and what she was still trying to do... It probably is a shame she couldn't do it now. I'm sure she would be respected and more well-received. But it was just interesting to see, you know what, she was still doing it. She was still unapologetically doing what she wanted to do. Mm. Um, and how hard that actually was and what that looked and sounded like. And how strong a character must have been in order to do that as well. Just well, to... but then inevitably how um, how fragile she actually was because, mm. yeah, she came off really strong and she was really strong to do what she did, but ultimately at, what, 21, she has a mm. mental breakdown and from then on, you know, has, she ma- yeah, I mean, has she an illness. But way. she, you know, she managed it well and she, mm. in the end... <laughs> but I think as well... Go and listen to the album, because it's it's a you know it's a truly amazing, amazing thing. I think it's so perfect. Even if you don't go and listen to it straight away, go look up the song "Identity" immediately mm. because it has everything that's good about them. <laughs> yeah, it um, it's just from the the first little note, and by little <laughs> I mean she yells it. This is the first and all of the massive notes. It's the most <laughs> yeah. It's the most powerful, good, interesting, simplistic, wonderful message so good perfect we love it talking about perfect music let's stop this now uh, because it's gone on a bit and let's play a song yes so the next song we're going to play is from a band called street eaters a band from san francisco this song is called simple distractions which is from their ep of the same name the ep is up for pre-order now it's a picture disc seven inch And it's on Nervous Intent Records, which is out on the 9th of April. So this is Street Eaters with Simple Distractions.
This week's trashy film for review is the film Psycho Gorman from 2020. Many moons ago, a nameless evil was imprisoned in a place far beyond reach. If he were ever to be released, it would spell certain doom for all existence. Is that fear I smell? Your planet will be torn to pieces, and I will Mimi, your look. screams as I Is this yours? Oh. Uh. Oh my god. The gem of Paraxodite. Whoever wields it is able to command me. Go over there. And wait for us to come back in the morning. You will suffer an eternity for this. Bye! The ultimate evil has awoken. There's a new god in town. And his name? Psycho Gorman. Nice meeting you. It would be nicer if you were dead. All right, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Psycho Gorman, ladies and gentlemen. So, in brief, this film. After unearthing a gem that controls an evil monster looking to destroy the universe, a young girl and her brother use it to make him do their bidding. It's a film, uh, yeah, from 2020, directed and written by Stephen Kostansky. And it's... Well, Dave. Fucking great. It's fucking amazing. Um, it's written as a comedy horror sci-fi, and that pretty much is exactly everything it touches on. I think before before we saw this film, so we tried to we picked this one uh, largely because it's actually new, mm. like it's literally just come out, and we want to try not to just continuously pick films from nineteen eighty six or nineteen eighty seven, which we were we were starting to do, um, <clears throat> and I heard about it, and someone described it as a little bit like the Power Rangers but with loads of gore, and it was called Psycho Goreman. And I thought, oh, yes. And then I found out it was Canadian, and I thought, I'm going to enjoy the voices. (laughs) It's really interesting that you said that, actually, because the kind of monster character looks exactly... I've really got Ivan Ooze feelings about him. If anyone's watched the Power Rangers movie from 96-ish, I guess, I don't know what it's called. Um, The bad guy is called Ivan Ooze, and this guy... Pretty much like, looks sorry, like him. Is it like Ivan Ooze? Yeah. First and second name? Yeah. That's fucking great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, wa- I made you watch it and you hated oh, it. <laughs> but it's really good. Anyway, the the bad guy in this kind of looks like him. So the the basically what happens is they're digging up their grandmother's grave for some reason. Fuck knows why. I mean, can't I remember why. I think some of the things that happen in this film are like references to old movies and I think often when they reference an old movie there's almost no they don't bother giving you a reason why they're doing it so that bit of the film is very much a reference to the film The Gate which I don't know if you've seen yeah we have watched that I've seen that and so that hole and that light coming out the hole yeah is all it looks exactly like The Gate okay and so I think that what they they just it's like referenced it but didn't really directly they say just they just thought it. oh well if we're referencing the gate we don't have to worry about we don't have to acknowledge put it, it in the yeah. put it in the story it would just happen <laughs> and that's fine so so yeah it's a, it's a brother and a sister digging the hole in their garden see this pink shiny orb take it but little do they realize they've taken it from the belly of this evil monster that's been lying in the ground and without this little orb 
he doesn't have all his power and actually whoever holds the orb can kind of control him so he can still do what he wants but if the person holding the orb says don't do it he then can't do it so the orb ends up in this kid's possession and he comes up and he's really snarly and whatever and this little girl who is not scared of him in the slightest is just like no you can't do that and he's like oh no i can't do that now crap because you've got the orb and it just goes from there really his name is the archduke of nightmares But But, she doesn't like that. She doesn't like it, so she just changes it. The girl in this film is absolutely fucking brilliant. She must be... She couldn't be older than 11 or 12 or something. She's so young. She's better than every Stranger Things child by about three million times. She's She's so much better. She's just an excellent actress. I've written down here, little sister is cocky, intense, pretty awesome, tells the monster off, swishes about, she's sassy, and she smashes a crucifix. (laughs) She does. Yeah, I think that might have been in that clip that we played. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not, but she... uh, Yeah, towards towards the end, she just decides... She doesn't... She goes... She sort of pretends she's going to pray... Mm. And she and she then she just decides I don't need God or something and, yeah. and like smashes the thing smashes stuff up. They also uh, you, you missed a very important thing that she does, which is sing a song called Frig Off. Oh my God! <laughs> we'll is... put a link to so the good thing about having this YouTube channel where we can put a playlist is we can put loads of links to stuff. And they there's just a breakdown in the middle where they're all in a band and <laughs> it's I think the words are I'm a heckin' mess Frig all the rest and it just goes on about that. <laughs> Um, and it's uh, really Psycho Gorman's playing the drums badly. She tells him off, <laughs> and, they, and by this time he's turned one of their friends into a massive brain with glasses, and he's playing the synth. Yeah, <laughs> but there's just the the wonderful thing about it is it's really I don't really know how to describe it, but the kids are really kids. Like mm. there's not this intention for them to be mature and thrown into a world where they're terrified. They've got this fearlessness that only kids of that sort of age like pre-teen have Mm -hmm. where because this man's coming and he's like i'm fucking scary and she's like nope you're just boring you sit here we'll come and find you tomorrow here's a tv to watch right now you need to do what i want you to do and actually what's really cool is about those two is the girls like usually the younger sister is the the scaredy cat but she's like so fearless and the brother is like a wimp Uh, actually uh all of the gender roles in this are quite interesting. Yeah. Not to, let's not bother overthinking fucking yeah. Psycho Goreman too much. But the gender roles are all really interesting because the parents is the same as yeah. well. So I, I couldn't quite work out whether they were referenced in the 80s or the 90s. I think that this was kind of more like set in the 90s. It wasn't mm. really set in any time. But yeah. if they were referencing anything, I feel like it was more more of a 90s kind of pastiche. And when you think about it, you know, thinking about films from the 80s and 90s, particularly horror films, the dad's always kind of like... You know the, the yeah mm. the tough one and you know the army dad mm. or whatever who's threatening the kids and, and stuff and then and in this the dad is like, oh he's as pathetic he's, as it, to be come. honest his character is almost it's quite annoying Cringe. really he's he's probably the worst part of it but in a way he does play quite an interesting role because he's like really soft he's really mm. lazy the you know he's he cooks the dinner I mean admittedly he, he like. But really but, badly. But they, I feel like there's just all of the. I, they're definitely going for something there where they just sort of twisted everything around a little bit. And yeah, the main girl in this is just like the str- one of the strongest female characters in any film, I feel like. She's just so freaking cool. Again, like, if you were a kid watching this, you'd be like, that girl is kick ass. Like, yeah, she is yeah. amazing. Um, <clears throat> but the other, the other good thing that I thought was in this was. 
<laughs> the effects, whilst they're shit, are not that shit. It's actually quite a good, well-made, beautiful thing. I... So there's some effects that I think are deliberately, like all of the blood and all of the, like, those bits are over the top because that's the point of them. But actually, it's quite a prettily made shot. It's a well-made thing, even if it's going for something quite tacky. I think there's I a say. reason for that, in a way, uh, which is quite unusual as well, in, in probably for modern films, is that loads and loads of the effects in it are... They're not CGI. They're, they're real things. They're, real things. You know, they're uh, puppets and, and like, technical um, muppetry. Yeah, uh, actual <laughs> splooges and uh, liquids. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and so actually when, the, when there is CGI, which there is occasionally, That's the CGI bad, is shit. Yeah. But everything else is like... They, a lot of the um, outfits, because there's... Um, so the planet where Psycho Goreman came Gigamax from... Gigamax or Gigamax, what's yeah. it called? Or Giglax, Giglax, something like that, yeah. Um, is they, they've got kind of like this group of... Oh, they're called the Templar. Yeah, yeah. it's just a sort of a group of other monsters who you presume are from like different worlds or whatever. Mm. And it almost, they look like Guar. Yeah, you know, that's that, exactly it's it. It's that kind of look. And I, and I wouldn't, be, I'm not, wouldn't be surprised at all if they're, they're... One of them, I think, there's, there's definitely one monster that's kind of... That they feed a person to is like just a, a chunk of thing that's just a big mouth. I think it's when they come to Earth and they try and beat him up. And well, it's looks... what he does. He says, "I'll give you a warrior's death," and a warrior's no, death but... is that he eats. Them. Yeah, he does, and, he, and his mouth <laughs> and his really mouth big. unhinges, and he turns it. He basically is a bag that they put a person in. <laughs> but no, I'm talking. But there's a different one, and it looks mm. exactly like Gorgor, which is a Guar mm. character that they that the, they, the they fed like Jerry Springer to. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, there's definitely some Guar influence in there, I think. Yeah. And, and again, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if, if that's completely deliberate. Mm. Um, one of my absolute favourite <laughs> favorite bits, and I think they return to this at some point, is that um, so yeah. they, they, make, they make Psycho Gorman um, sit in a warehouse to yeah. sort of hide away, and they force him to sit there. And when they come back, they bring him a bunch of things. And one of them says, oh, I bought you some magazines. And... Um, he says, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't bring you any pornos. And he gave, gives him this this thing, and it's kind of like a sexy man magazine, but it's not like pornography, it's just sort of I think like, it's a catalogue that kind has, of, like, yeah. someone boy on it. And there's just something incredibly funny about the fact that Psycho Goreman says in this really intimidating voice, I do not care for hunky boys. <laughs> and that just really made me laugh. <laughs> but then he goes, and or then, do I? Yeah, and then, he, <laughs> and then he does get quite interested in hunky boys. Well, then... So he gets really upset because his magazine gets burnt up. And he's and he's um, he screams yeah he screams not my hunky boys yeah. <laughs> which again I feel like is quite you know it's very very minorly subser- uh, subversive for a for a film like yeah. this really the soundtrack oh is goodness. fucking banging so it's made by someone who famously has made some other things Blitz Berlin Blitz slash yeah, Berlin which I actually. That haven't necessarily heard anything directly that they've done. They do seem to... That seems to be their style. It's like a trio of people that make this style of music that I think, um, you know, Drive made famous and Stranger Things Mm. then made famous. It's that kind of, like, 80s electro sound that um, Kavinsky in in Drive did and then um, whoever did the music for Stranger Things, forgive me, I can't remember who they are. They do that very much same kind of 80s synthy sounding... But the, the nice thing from, in this... Sorry, the music from Stranger Things is by the singer from the Dillinger Escape Plan. you kidding? Do you know that? No, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. Oh, is this... Well, is this going to be this fucking Vincent Gallo 
We'll see. We'll get to I'll apologise on the next episode. <laughs> Vigo Mortensen. Well. I'm sure that's true. Scenario. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. <laughs> so, but the nice thing about this one is, whilst it has that, it has some epic 80s guitar <laughs> shit in it as well. And the song that they sing ends up descending into this, like, cock rock sounding yeah. um, anthemic... Oh, it's just wonderful, and, and a, it sets everything off really well, I think. But isn't it? There's a couple of other ones as well that sort of do that thing that uh, old film soundtracks used to do, where they sort of tell the story of the film. Oh, it's like yeah, there's two people and yeah. they're doing this. But there's a cult rock one, but then at the very end, there's like a hip hop one as well. At the, in the in, in the, the rolling credits, credits and, at the end, and yeah. again, they do a really good job of making a sort of nineties, maybe eighties, but probably more like nineties yeah. sounding hip hop song where it's just like he's just rapping out the, the well it sounded the a bit like that vanilla film. ice one from the teenage mutant ninja turtles it was it was kind of that it was really good though i mean this is a ridiculously it's quite a wholesome nice film i don't really know how to explain why that is considering it's <laughs> it doesn't tell the story like I that, think that at the all. relationship between I think that brother I think there's well thing. I think there's something about the fact that the girl is so amazing means that you immediately root for her yeah. character and then she creates, although she's like basically just fucking everybody off the whole time, she creates. You want to, you want her and Psycho Goreman to get on, which sounds mm. ridiculous, but they kind of, you know, and they sort of, they don't really bond as such, but they yeah. sort of do, and and like he comes round, and then he ends up deciding he's not actually going to kill her and her family, but and, but he will annihilate the rest of say, the world. Spoiler alert: the end <laughs> of the film. What I just think this is a fucking genius end to this film, is that. He agrees that he's not going to kill the girl that he likes in her family, but he kills everybody else and, and wipes out the entire world, but yeah. just leaves the four of them. And they, but it's and that's it's, your happy ending. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like left at the end, sort of all smiley and really yeah. happy that, that that happened. I just, I just think it's fucking brilliant. Um, it was made by I didn't realize this when we watched it at all, but it's only when we were farting about earlier that I realized that the director of this is a part of a group of filmmakers who are called Astron Six, who are like Canadian filmmakers who've made a number of films that kind of, all of which sort of um, are pastiches of specific other types of films. And I've seen a few of them. There's one called Father's Day, which is kind of like a 70s exploitation film. I think Troma released. And that's really good. I really, really enjoyed that. And there's one that came out quite recently called The Void, and I don't think I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure it got quite a lot of fuss when it when it was mm. out. Probably more within nerdy horror movie circles, but still. But yeah, they're quite an interesting bunch. They made a lot of short films. I think some of their short films are are around online. If I can, if I can, I'll put some in the YouTube playlist. Um, but yeah, they're quite an interesting bunch, I think. And I, and I was quite surprised to find that they were that one of them was sort of involved in this. But having found that out, it totally fits into everything that I know about this Astron Six bunch. So it's really good, isn't it? What uh, score do you want? What score do you want to give it? Sorry, I don't really that, know was, to... that was so pushy. <laughs> this film's brilliant, isn't it? This is a d- clear ten out of ten. What score are you going to give? In fairness, this film is amazing. It, weirdly, it's not rated that highly on the internet, but the internet has no, you know, it doesn't prove fuck itself to know anything film. ever. When it comes to Psycho Gorman, fuck the. Internet. I thought this film was just wonderful. It was the kind of film I'm going to sound really depressing. Like I actually didn't want it to end because I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed the girl and the monster and just yeah. the stupid little lines that they say to each other. Just how like. 
the dynamic of the monster trying to be all like hard and and uh, scary, and this little girl just being not in the slightest <laughs> bit terrified of him and his kind of confusion at that, while she also then ultimately has power over him. It was just really cool. The girl is amazing. The huh? all the characters are really cool. I I I would rate it probably nine or ten out of ten, and I think everyone should watch it. We need to start watching some shit films because this one was, this one was <laughs> no, so good. No, I mean, good. this definitely fits. We had this conversation afterwards, but this definitely fits into like... Oh, it's definitely a, trash. It's definitely a trash movie, but it's just yeah. an incredibly good one. I should say that girl who we keep saying is brilliant, her name is Nita Jose Hanna. Mm. Like I say, she's just this tiny girl, but I... How old is she? I, I don't know. She hasn't got a Wikipedia page or anything. She's probably too she's young to actually be on the Probably internet. just like, <laughs> yeah, like one of their daughters or something. Yeah. But, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see her in, in Hollywood in a few years. Yeah, she honest. should be in. She, she really was like lit up the screen. But um but yeah, I mean I I I think this is just brilliant. It's it's laugh out loud funny. The all of the effects it looks brilliant. All of the effects I think were really they're well up my street. They're they're a bit shoddy at times, but in a really nice way, in a really sort of endearing way. I actually thought like all everybody does a really good job acting wise. Um, the direction's really great. Um, like I say, it even it even sort of fucks around with gender roles a little bit, mm. and, and is you know, for a for a sort of trashy horror movie, it's it's quite interesting in that respect. It's got great music. I mean, there's just nothing wrong with it. It's a it's a ten unquestionably. Yeah, there a 10. is nothing wrong with it. I don't think you know. I might give it a nine point eight. Just because it's not quite as good as Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my it's only not, ten. That's my only ten. That's my only ten movie. <laughs> so I'm gonna play an old song now, keeping with the nineties theme of Psycho Gorman. <laughs> I've carefully picked um Arse Factor Four from um nineteen ninety five, I think this song is from. They were a band from South Carolina who were active in the early to mid nineties, ninety three, I think they came about. Um they, I don't know a great deal about them. I can just tell you that their one LP, well, they've got two LPs, but I think one of them might be a collection of things. But their debut LP, which is just self-titled, is um, fucking brilliant, uh, great. Um, I th- I always um, threw them in with the kind of emo violence scene, which was a lot of bands who most of whom were from Florida. But um, it was only when I looked them up that I found that actually I don't think they had anything to do with those bands but they were definitely featured a lot in like Heart Attack fanzine and I think they probably had some sort of connection to like Ebullition and and that whole scene this song is actually from a compilation that No Idea Records put out of all places it's got less than Jake on it it's a really it's a really Mm. random compilation but it's a great song and it's called 12 Years of Living in Hell so here's Ask Factor 4 
And welcome back to Breakfast Punts podcast. We're going to round up episode six now, I think. A mm-hmm. um, few last little messages. If you've got any feedback or anything you want us to know or include or just anything, feel free to contact us. You can do it through our Instagram page at Breakfast Punks Podcast, or you can do it via Sham City Roasters or Debbie Donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, email address-wise, shamcityroasters at gmail.com is the best way to get through to us properly. Um, Follow us on our new YouTube channel. YouTube channel. Uh, uh, I think it's Breakfast Punks Podcast. I mean, look, there won't be another. So, no. <laughs> and that's really cool because you get to see all the little YouTube holes that we go on and get. Uh, you know, if you like any of the songs we mentioned, any of the films, any documentaries, there'll be links to all that kind of stuff on there. So it's a good little library of things. And if you've had um, any trouble getting our podcast recently, then you can listen to things on, on that YouTube channel as well. But um, I meant to mention this ages ago, but we, when we first started uploading this podcast, we put it across loads and loads of different platforms. Um, and I've simplified, it confused everything. So I've simplified everything down now. So as a result, if you were listening to us through, I think it's Podbean or any of the ones that were powered by that, we might have vanished for the last couple of episodes. I think that it should have caught up now and the stream that's coming from where we are should be on all, in all of those places. But we're on Spotify, which I think is where most people find us. And we're on you know, Google and iTunes and all of these corporate bastards have got, mm-hmm. our, got our voices on them. Um, I'm pretty sure, although because we uploaded it so many different places, but um, just doing some very basic maths before we started, I'm pretty sure that we've had over a thousand listens now. Oh, yeah. Which is, um, which is great. Yeah, thank, thank you, you all. So much. Um, <laughs> if you're still listening to all of this, you are very nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've got over 500 followers on our Instagram now. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. And we've got zero followers on our YouTube page. Hey. So if you want to become number one, then I'll, yeah, we'll give you a shout out or something. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. What could you want more? <laughs> so let's finish with a song, as we always do. Um, this last song is by a band called Bitterman. Uh, we mentioned them last week because they're playing the warm-up gig of What's It Called Fest Which in sold September. out very quickly. It did indeed. Mm-hmm. Mostly because of the opening band, Comeback Clip. Probably nothing to do with that band. In oh. fact, definitely not, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to talk about it at some point. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yeah, uh, so they'll be playing that gig anyway. Uh, they're from Portsmouth, really brilliant band. Really unusual band. Uh, around at the moment I absolutely love them they sound like a 90s metal band to me I hope that's not an an insult to them but um, it really reminds me of John Bush era Anthrax (laughs) which hopefully will will mean something to someone Um, the Sound of White Noise album and is it Stomp 422 those albums are fucking great but it also and I think this is a slightly more obscure reference, but they really remind me of this band called Handsome, not Handsome, <laughs> not the Three Little Brothers, not Mbop. but Handsome, who were members of hardcore bands that made one album in I don't know when, probably the late nineties, I guess. And it was kind of around the time of like original emo bands, um, but they were kind of like a slightly heavier version of of, um, of those, really. And the album is a fucking banger. So I just want to, just any chance to bring it up, I'm going to say that. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea if Bitterman know anything about any of those bands that I just said, but I think that they sound a bit like them. So I'm going to talk about them anyway. There you go. Um, Anyway, brilliant band, really lovely people too. um, And uh, this is from their new CD EP called Abysm. 
this out on Charlie's Big Ray Gun Records. And the song is called Danger. And we will now bid you adieu. Bye-bye. Have a lovely couple of weeks and we will see you on the other side. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye. Pop it. <laughs> can't, 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 can't. <laughs>